about it. Let's sing out together.
Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 28 this morning. Genesis chapter 28. We're studying the life of Jacob from the book of Genesis, the schemer, the supplanter, the heel grabber who became Israel, a prince with God. And we could easily write Romans 8.28 across Jacob's life. When you look at what he did, and then you look at what God did, you surely see that God worked all things together for good. His life is a picture of the marvelous grace of God. And in today's passage, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, we see God's grace on display in a wonderful fashion. Before I read the passage this morning and we dive into Genesis 28, let me refresh your memory as to what we've studied so far. What's gone on in Jacob's life so far? We know that he was he's born to Isaac and Rebekah. He's the second of twin boys. His older brother's name was Esau. God made it clear to um, his mother that contrary to cultural norms, the younger son was going to have preeminence, not the older son. Jacob is not content to allow God to work. Instead, he decides to take matters into his own hands. And, and so he cunningly schemes and maneuvers and connives to get the birthright and the blessing from his older brother Esau. Now Esau is furious and he decides that after his father Isaac is dead, that Jacob's going to be dead too. Why? Because Esau is going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's parents, they realize what's going on. Um, Isaac reconfirms the blessing upon him. They send him away to Haran to find a wife and also in order to save his life. And today we find that Jacob has left home. He's on his way headed to Haran and he's headed for the unknown. And the trip that he's on is not going to be an ordinary one. Something extraordinary is about to take place. God is going to reveal himself To Jacob, God is going to grace Jacob, if you will. And as I've studied and prayed over this passage this past week, it became evident to me that what we have here is how God turned a hard place into a holy place for Jacob. God turned a hard place into a holy place. Don't answer out loud, but are you in a hard place today, friend? When you think about your life, what's going on, what you're facing, maybe it's at home. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your spiritual life, your marriage, your parenting. But think about it. Are you in a hard place today? Maybe you couldn't verbalize that. You couldn't raise your hand. You couldn't share that. Maybe you're even loaded down with guilt. You're embarrassed about it. You would never share that verbally today. Well, beloved, if that's you, if you're in a hard place today, I want to encourage you to tune in real carefully to what we're going to study today. And if you're not in a hard place today, let me just encourage you to also tune in because more than likely, because we live in a sin cursed fallen world, you're going to find yourself in a hard place again. So let's see together how God turned a hard place into a holy place and see how he desires to do that for us as well. Genesis chapter 28, I'll begin reading at verse 10. We'll kind of go through the passage together, section by section. We're going to start with the first two verses, but do keep the passage open as we're going to study down through uh, the end of the chapter, uh, verse 22. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. The word of God says, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place. And stayed there all night. 
because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, as far as we know, beloved, uh, Jacob has spent the majority of his life with his family. Uh, I'm not being unkind in saying that, but he truly was a mama's boy. Uh, He was his mother's favorite son. As, As bad as that is, that was the reality of their family. He knew and was familiar with home. But here he sets out on a journey for Haran. Let me put a map up for you if I can. And if you notice at the very bottom, I know you can't see that, but you see a square at the bottom. That's Beersheba. And then you see another box that says Jerusalem. And then the third box says Bethel. And you see it going to that large staircase there. So he's going from Beersheba, headed to Haran. Haran's that box at the very top. Uh, Morris said it was about a 500 mile trip to go from Beersheba to Haran. And it would take many weeks by camel or donkey. Now here he's coming in his trip to the place of Luz or Bethel. And that's the third box there. He's coming up to the uh, Luz or Bethel. And according to what I've read, it was somewhere between 45 or 50 miles. One even said it was 70 miles from where he was at home to where he is at this moment. It would have taken at least two or three days to get to uh, Luz or Bethel. And let me just tell you that uh, Bethel, this place called Luz, uh, it was not a pleasant place. In fact, it's been described as being bleak, barren, and stony. I mean, you you saw just a moment ago, we just read, he literally took a stone for his pillow. Uh, You think your pillow's bad, imagine that. But here he is at Bethel, Luz. He's in a barren, bleak, stony place. It was a hard place. Jacob was in a hard place. Not only literally, not only physically, but also emotionally. Now, no traveling companions are mentioned in this passage, but we have to guess that there were traveling companions. I mean, because he's the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the promised heir. Uh, He's on his way to find a wife. But while none are mentioned, uh, no companions whatsoever, we know that Jacob was not alone. He was traveling with his thoughts. And as he's on this journey from his home, and think about the first time you left home. I think about the first time I left home for good. I left uh, northeastern North Carolina, born and raised there, right along the Virginia-Carolina border. And I went to college in Pennsylvania. And I remember the drive going up Interstate 95. And I remember the emotions that went on in my life. And here we have Jacob. He's leaving home. He's stepping out to the unknown. And surely there were times to think about all that's gone on in his life. He had times to think about his scheming and his trickery. In his mind's eye, I'm sure he saw the anger in Esau's eyes looking at him with the desire to kill him. I'm sure in his mind's eyes, uh, he could see the look of hurt upon his father's face when his father realized that he'd been tricked by his own son as he lied and deceived him. He had the birthright. He had the blessing. But here he is traveling away from home, away from family, going to a distant land, to a people he had never met, going To what? George MacDonald mentioned that he was probably filled with regret for the past, loneliness in the present, and uncertainty about the future. Regret for the past, loneliness in the present, and uncertainty for the future. Is that where you find yourself today, friend? Maybe nursing regret from the past? Maybe here at this present moment in your life, you're just lonely Maybe you're uncertain about the future. 
Well, Jacob comes to this place. It's bleak. It's barren. It's stony. He's tired. He's weary. The sun has set. He pulls up a rock for his pillow and he lays down and he goes to sleep. And Jacob's in a hard place. But praise the Lord. God is not done with him. I want you to watch carefully how God turns a hard place into a holy place. You say, well, preacher, how in the world is God going to do that? He's going to do it, beloved, by his amazing grace. Now, remember, Jacob is the schemer. He's the trickster. He's the supplanter, the heel grabber. But he's not able to do that. Why? Because he is asleep. And God is going to work by means of a dream. Look at verse 12 now of Genesis 28. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, where it says ladder there in the New King James, it also says ladder in the King James. Your translation might have a staircase. It could be translated a ramp. Uh, whatever it is, a ladder, a staircase, a ramp, there is a connection between heaven and earth. And in this connection, this ladder, this staircase, there are angels descending and ascending on it. Now, let's just stop and let me comment on this for a moment. This staircase, this ladder, this ramp. This is not just um, some bad pizza he had the night before and he's dreaming weird stuff. Okay. By the way, don't be too caught off guard. Dreams can be weird, can't they? Uh, You just wonder. Sometimes you wake up and say, what in the world? Where did that come from? But this is not just something unusual. It's not just something out of the ordinary. This is not a secondary issue. God is teaching him something here. There's a connection between heaven and earth. And there are ministering spirits. There are angels. There are ministering spirits. That are actively serving God and actively serving those of us who belong to God. And may I submit to you today that this ladder, this staircase, this ramp that he sees in his dream is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, that is a very bold statement. How do you know that this ladder, this staircase, this ramp represents and pictures the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, because Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of John. Put your finger in Genesis 28. Don't lose it. We're coming right back. But turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John for a moment. John chapter 1. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to talk about a ladder, this ramp, this staircase. And remember, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is all about Jesus. Uh, As you're studying, you just look because he's there. But in John chapter 1, we find him referencing uh, this ladder. John chapter 1, verse 43. We're studying right now on Wednesday night, uh, the 12 apostles. And here we have an account in John 1. It says in verse 43 of John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also um, the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47 of John 1. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him. How do you know me? 
Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now notice what Jesus says in the next two verses. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? Verse 51. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, not upon a ladder, not upon a staircase, not upon a ramp. What's the Bible say? Upon the son of man. This staircase is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. If I can say it reverently, Jesus is the stairway to heaven. And beloved, if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go by Jesus or you're not going to go. That's not me. That's the word of God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He's the only way to heaven. And so I ask you today, friend, are you going to heaven? Put another way. Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, I beg you today, turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he sees this um, this ladder, this staircase, this ramp there, and he sees these angels. But the amazing thing is in his dream, he not only sees these things, he hears the Lord speaking to him. We're back in Genesis 28 now, picking up the story at verse 13. He just saw this ladder, this ramp, this staircase. Verse 13 says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. Now, beloved, imagine Jacob here. He's lonely. He's afraid. He's exhausted, regretting his past, doubting his future here in this night in this hard place with a rock, a literal rock for his pillow. He hears these glorious words as God comes and he reconfirms the Abrahamic covenant with him. He promised him the land. He promised him the seed and he promised him the blessing. If we could say it another way, we find the Lord coming and God promised him provision. He says, I will give you the land. He promised him God's people. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the dust. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you and your seed. How? Because the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming through your line. He promises them God's presence. I am with you. I will not leave you. And he promises him God's protection. I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back. Did Jacob deserve these promises, by the way? 
No. He was a schemer, a trickster, a deceiver. He was one trying to do things on his own. But God in His grace, He comes. And beloved, can I just say to you today that God has given us wonderful promises as well. Ellsworth, he summarized them in the following way. Jot these references down. They're a great blessing. You can meditate on them this week. God has promised to be with us. God has promised to be with us. Matthew 28, 20, known to us as the Great Commission. It ends this way that we're to be teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And then Jesus says what? And lo, I am with you. How long? Do you remember? Always. Even to the end of the age. Amen. God has promised to us His children. He's promised to be with us. And not only to be with us, He's promised to keep us. Hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. He's promised to us to be with us. He's promised us He's going to keep us. He's also promised us a land. He's promised us heaven. Those precious words, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Just as he made these wonderful promises to his servant Jacob, we find that God has made wonderful, glorious promises to us. He says to you, child of God, my son, my daughter, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to bring you to the land. I'm going to bring you to heaven. And likewise, he's promised to keep his promises. He's promised to keep his promises. Philippians chapter one, verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Not might complete it, not hopefully will complete it. He says, I will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, can I just say to you, you might be in a hard place today. I'm imagining that most people are that are listening to me. But that hard place that you're in is a great place if it leads you to a holy place as you look to God and His sustaining grace. Don't miss that. That hard place that you're in is a great place if it leads you to a holy place as you seek God and His sustaining grace. God can redeem these hard places and these hard times in our life. And he can do a wonderful work and take that which is hard and difficult and bring about good for us and glory for him. Jot this reference down. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Paul had learned this. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, and not only that, but we also glory and tribulations. Now let me just stop for a moment. How many of us this past week gloried in tribulation? How many of us ever get up in the morning and say, praise the Lord. I'm so glad I'm so sore. I'm so glad I'm hurting today. I'm so glad I'm sick today. I'm so glad I've had a hard day at work today. I'm so glad I've got all these horrible things going on. I'm glad the tire was flat. I'm glad this new bill came I wasn't expecting. I'm glad all this tribulation is upon me. I just glory in these tribulations. How many of us do that on a daily basis? 
Was Paul crazy? No, listen to what he says. Romans 5, 3 and 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now listen to it. Hard place is going to become a holy place. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Paul was able to look at the tribulation and look above it to the Lord of glory who takes the tribulation. What did I say at the beginning of the message? The verse that can be written across Jacob's life. Romans 8, 28. And God works all things together for good. And may I just say to you, dear Christian friend, dear brother and sister in Christ, that verse is written across your life too and my life. He works all things together for good. Well, we've got to hurry back to Bethel. Jacob is waking up. And if you'll notice that God's revealed himself to him, and now we're going to have Jacob's response. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said these words. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How many of us are guilty of that? We too could say, surely... The Lord is in this place and I did not know it. You know, we often doubt God's presence. It's in the hard places of life, isn't it? Why is he allowing me to go through this? Why is he allowing me to face this? Why is this happening to my family? Why are these things going on? Why won't God answer my prayer? Why won't God deliver me? Jacob's in a hard place. He awakes from his dream. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. Look at verse 17. And he was afraid. God's presence literally shook him. He said in verse 17, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And I want you to notice what happens in Jacob's life. Um, This revelation of God to Jacob leads Jacob to respond in worship and consecration and commitment. Look at what Jacob says as he makes a vow, as he says some very important things, beginning at verse 18. It says, then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that had been put at his head. So he took that stony pillow. He set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He consecrates that place. Verse 19. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which had previously uh, excuse me, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. That's why I referred to it as Luz and Bethel. By the way, Bethel means house of God. Luz, they tell me, means separation. Think about that. Separation becomes the house of God. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. Let me just stop for a moment. Because a lot of people see that Jacob is still a conniver. He's still a schemer. He's setting down conditions. That if, that's translated there in the uh, New King James, I think it's that way. In the King James, it can also be translated since. Since God has done these things. Like we said, well, if the Lord's going to do that, then I'm going to do this. I'm going to give Jacob the benefit of the doubt. So let's read it that way. Since God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely 
give a tenth to you. Here we have him committing to tithe long before the law is given, but committing to tithe. Now, many Bible students see this as the moment of Jacob's conversion. This is the point where his head knowledge of God and the motions of worshiping God become a personal faith relationship with the Lord. I'm inclined to think that because he says, the Lord shall be my God. You know, when God came to him, he said, well, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. I believe this is where truly in Jacob's life, he becomes the God of Jacob. And this is all by God's amazing grace. Now, Jacob may have felt that he had blown it as far as his future was concerned. I mean, he had the birthright. He had the blessing. But surely he's blown it. I mean, he's not there rejoicing at home. He's headed away from home into the unknown. His brother wants to kill him. Everything's going awry. And he's at this place in his life. And then along comes God. And God says, Jacob, number one, I'm God. And number two, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing. Hallelujah, friend. Hallelujah. And the Lord has done the same thing for a lot of us here today. He's come to us in our life and he said to us, I'm God. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, can I just say to you today, he wants to do the same for you. He wants to say to you, I'm God. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. In Christ, salvation. And I'm going to make you a blessing. A hard place can become a holy place when we meet God's grace. A hard place can become a holy place when we meet God's grace. In the hard places of life, that's the moment we need to come to the Father. We need to commune with Him. We need to acknowledge him. We need to bring that hard place to him. And we need to talk with him about it. God said some wonderful things to Jacob in these promises that he made. But the one that stood out to me the most as I studied. And by the way, I'm so thankful we read this. Why? Because we're blessed as a result of this. Why? Because it was through Jacob and God's covenant through Abraham that the Lord Jesus Christ came and was born in the flesh and lived a sinless, perfect life, and died and rose again. But as I study this, the one that popped out at me in a wonderful way, in a powerful way, is in verse 15, where God says to Jacob, Behold, I am with you. Beloved, God has said the same thing to us. And doesn't it make a difference to you to know that God is with you? Did you know as a New Testament believer, God is not only with us, but by his Holy Spirit, he literally is within us. He indwells us by his precious Holy Spirit. No matter where you are, in a hard place, a happy place, and in difficult times, and delightful times, God is with you. You can say, believer, at all times, God is here with me. In fact, to wake some of you up, can I just have you say that out loud with me? Let's say it together. God is here with me. Say it one more time, would you? God is here with me. Doesn't that make a difference? 
You're in a hard situation. You can say with confidence, based upon the word of God, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You can say, God is here with me. There are at least two songs in our hymn book that relate directly to this story. One of them makes a lot of sense. It's number 474. It's a little chorus called, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Do you remember that one? We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. Soldiers of the cross, we're getting higher, higher. It's got some real deep theological truth there. But we're climbing Jacob's Ladder. But there's another song in our hymn book. You know it better than that one. But I dare say you probably never connected it to the story, even though it's directly a result of this account we read today. The hymn historian Kenneth Osbeck, he tells the story behind the song. He said it was written by a talented and charming English woman who only lived to be 43 years old. Uh, So she died very young in, in our estimation of things. And in spite of her delicate health, as obviously it was, her name was Sarah Adams. She had a very active and productive life. She had a successful career on stage in London. Uh, She played Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth. May I just say, boy, she must have been something to play Lady Macbeth. And then um, she began to write. And she became widely known for her literary accomplishments. In the song that I'm talking about today, in the very first uh, verse, it talks about uh, the cross. And some believe that the cross that's mentioned there is kind of representing the physical handicaps that she had in her life that limited her in so many ways. Well, one day a Reverend William J. Fox asked her to come or or asked her to write a hymn to go along with uh, a sermon he was preparing on the story of Jacob and Esau. And so Miss Adams, she turned to the passage that we study today, Genesis 28, 10 through 22. And she spent much time studying the passage that we've studied today. And within a short time, she completed the stanzas of this song. That was back in 1840. And since that time, the Lord has used this song to comfort many of his people. I want to share the song with you today and. As I do, I want you to listen to the words, and I think you'll be quite surprised that as you listen to the words, you're going to see the story that we have studied together unfold before you in the words of this hymn. I'll try to sing a little bit of it. If I can't sing it, I'll go to reciting it. But see if you recognize the hymn and see if you recognize the story that it's based upon. Nearer, my God, to Thee, nearer to Thee, e'en though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my song shall be. Nearer, my God, to Thee, nearer, my God, to Thee, nearer to Thee. There, 
let the way appear steps unto heaven. All that thou sendest me in mercy given. Angels to beckon me nearer my God to thee, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. Then with my waking thoughts, bright with thy praise, out of my stony griefs, Bethel, I'll raise. So by my woes to be nearer my God to thee, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. A hard place is a great place to be if you allow God to turn it into a holy place as you seek God and His sustaining grace. God is here with me. Nearer my God today. Would you bow in prayer? While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask the ladies to come to the instruments and we're going to change the closing. And I want to just start playing this song, 458. We're not going to sing it. I'm just going to ask him to play Nearer My God to the 458. And I'm going to pray and I want you to know the altar is open today. And I don't know what hard place you're facing. I don't know what difficulty. But I want you to come today and make that hard place a holy place as you seek God and His sustaining grace. And I'm going to ask them to begin playing 458 near my God today. I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to remain seated. The altar's open. I'm going to ask you to come today as they play and give that hard place to God. Ladies, if you'll begin playing. Father, thank You that You're in charge of our lives. Thank you that you know exactly where we are, what we're going through. And I pray now that hard places will be turned into holy places for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come, friend. Come and bring that hard place to the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, these altars open today. You come and pray. Others that come, you come too.